Well, good morning. We are jumping back into our study on the book of Colossians, and we're going to finish up chapter 2 today. Before we get started, I was just thinking about, um, I don't know why, but Chick-fil-A was really on my mind this morning. <laughs> How many of you guys have been to the Chick-fil-A, right? I know, right? That line was like an hour long. Did you know yesterday we waited in line, I want to say almost an hour, but it was worth it because when we got up to the drive through window, guess who was standing there? Gigi McMahon. And she was the one that handed us our food. It was so awesome to see one of our own working there. So uh, where is Gigi? Is she downstairs? Did you guys wait an hour and a half? Was it worth it? Oh, my goodness, really? You start at the post office. Wow. Gotta love Chick-fil-A. Day night, that's good. Well, my wife's downstairs. I'd say, honey, that's our next date is Chick-fil-A. Hey, so since the beginning of time, man has tried to answer the question of what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose in it? And to those who don't know God, there is a lot of ways to answer that question. But for those who recognize that there must be something more to life than just here and now, that something is a relationship with God. However, there are three primary roads that many people travel in their attempt to have this relationship with God. The first road, it has to do with rules. If I can just do this, and I can follow these lists of do's and don'ts, then maybe I can please God, and maybe God will accept me. That's road number one. Road number two has to do with rituals. Rituals are traditions or patterns of behavior or activities that we do because we think they're going to bring us closer to God. And then there's road number three, which has to do with religion. Religion is a man-made system of beliefs that try to explain the unexplainable. Now, every one of these roads are simply detours from the only road that leads to life. And that road is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, the only road that matters is the road of a relationship with Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus says something very profound to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were notorious for rule keeping, ritual following, and religion enforcing. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Translation, it's not about rules or outward performance. In Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says, you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Translation, it's not about rituals or tradition. How many times you pray? How many times you read your Bible? What you wear? How you look? How many candles you light? How many times you fast? How many times you come to church? It's not about any of that. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no power in rituals without that relationship. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus goes on to say, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Translation, it's not about religion. It's all about a relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus. 
We must hold fast to Jesus. And that's the message today. Hold fast. Holding fast in the Bible, it literally means to hold your position, to fix your gaze upon, to cling to, and to not let go. This means our attention and our action should be fixed on Jesus. It's all about a relationship with him. Relationship over rules, relationship over rituals, relationship over religion. Our faith must be totally and completely about Jesus because it's Jesus plus nothing. For generations, man has been trying to say, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus and fill in the blank. There is nothing more and there is nothing less. It's just Jesus. This is the message that we need to hear over and over and over again. Nothing needs to be added to what Jesus has already done because he is all we need. We don't need anything other than the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the death. It's the burial. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to live as a man, and then he died on the cross for our sins. It was the only way. Our sins separate us from a holy God. And the only way for us to stand righteous before our Heavenly Father, the only way for us to get to heaven is by what Jesus did on the cross. He shed his blood for us right there. He died, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, and Satan. And right now, he's seated at the right hand of God. That's where he's at. That is the gospel. We don't need anything more than the gospel. That's it. There's nothing else out there that we need. It's interesting that in every generation, there has always been a temptation to either abandon the gospel or add something to it. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, which we covered a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly why he's writing this letter to the Colossian people. Now, before I read this text, who remembers why Paul wrote this letter? Heresy, right? Exactly, heresy. What is heresy? It's a belief or a practice that directly undermines the teachings of the Bible. That's what heresy is. So, in Paul's own words, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this is what he said. He said, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Bam! There it is right there. Why did Paul write this letter? Because there were people in the church who were trying to take the Colossians captive with false teaching, otherwise known as heresy. It's the same thing happening today. This explains why Paul, in this letter, he spent so much time in this letter talking about Jesus, because Jesus is both supreme and he is sufficient. There is no one greater, and he is all we need. And we're going to see in our text today that no matter what the false teaching is, the answer to it is always the same. Jesus. Which is why our sole aim in life must be to hold fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We pray that right now anything that may be in our mind that's trying to pull us away or we're 
thinking about food. It would be Chick-fil-A, but they're closed today, Lord, and we thank you for that. But we ask, Jesus, that you'd give our minds and our attention to you today, that you would bless us, that you would have our hearts turned to you, and that you'd give us ears to hear. Lord God, that we would see miracles today in people's lives, that we'd see breakthrough today. Whatever baggage people are bringing in today, we pray, Lord God, that you would take that from us. We know your word tells us that if we'll cast all of our burdens upon you because you care for us, and we thank you, Lord, that we can leave here so much more empty than when we came in in terms of the baggage. So we love you. We pray right now, Jesus. We release this service to you. May your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to wrap up chapter 2 as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty of them right here on the bookshelf that you're welcome to borrow. Or if you prefer, you can follow along up on the screen. This is our text for today. Paul says here, beginning in verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. You can't follow along unless I turn the screen. So, hey, you guys just call me out, all right? Tell me, hey, pastor, get, get with it here. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings, which are referring to all the things that all perish as they are used. These have indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, so we're going to break all this down, because that's a lot, isn't it? In verse 16, Paul begins by saying, therefore. That word therefore is a conjunction. It's joining what Paul has already said with what he's about to say next. What did he say before? If we look back and we look in verse 9, Paul said, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. That was verse 9. In other words, if we've got Jesus, we have all we need. He canceled our debt and paid for our sins in full by his death on the cross. That was verses 13 and 14. And then in verse 15, it says, Jesus disarmed Satan and all of his minions, shaming him publicly by his victory on, over them on the cross. That was verse 16. So because of all that, Paul now says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Paul here is in effect saying, let no one set themselves up as an umpire in your life to pass judgment on you over these things. Now, an umpire, some of you know, if you've ever played the sport of baseball, that's the one standing there watching, officiating the game. He's the one that makes the call about that pitch as it goes across that plate. Is it a ball? Is it a strike? Are you out or are you in? He's the one determining that. Paul is saying here in our text, don't let anyone in your life set themselves up as an umpire 
passing judgment on you over these kinds of things. What are these kinds of things that Paul's talking about? He's talking about by what we eat and what we drink, what days we designate as holy and we set aside. This was a reference to the Old Testament dietary laws and the Jewish festivals. And the point that Paul is making here is that you and I need to reject legalism. That's your first blank. Reject legalism. Legalism can be very dangerous. Some think that this means having any rules or commandments at all. Others think that they narrow the definition a little bit and think, oh, it's just man-made rules or commandments. But that sort of thinking about legalism is incomplete. At the heart of legalism is pride. That's what's at the heart of legalism. It's pride. Legalists take great pride in their ability to follow certain rules. And then they judge others for not keeping those same rules. Legalists think that they are made acceptable to God by their ability to keep these rules. And they pick and choose what they're going to follow. Legalists tend to choose rules they believe they can follow and then they conveniently neglect or ignore the rules they don't like or are unable to follow. Dr. Charles Ryrie defines legalism as a fleshly attitude which conforms to a code for the purpose of exalting self. Matthew Taylor, in his article entitled Freedom in Christ, Seeking Your God, he defines legalism this way. He says, quote, Measuring your own or someone else's spirituality by the ability to keep man-made rules is a rigid, confining, and lifeless way to live. It is easy because all it requires is a list of rules coupled with dutiful compliance. Wisdom or skillful application of biblical principles to a life situation is unnecessary. Just comply. Legalism is not only rigid and lifeless, but it also fosters hypocritical pride, unquote. You see, the false teachers in Paul's day that were pushing this heresy were in effect saying that in order for you to be spiritual, you're going to have to do these certain things. You're going to have to eat these certain foods, not eat these other certain foods. You're going to have to designate these days as holy and others not. All of that, that is legalism. And the antidote to legalism is Jesus Christ. That's the antidote. Hold fast to Jesus. Let no one be an umpire in your life saying what you can't do or can do apart from a relationship with Christ. Now, Paul makes this even more clear in the very next verse. We go to verse 17. Here's what Paul says. He says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All the Old Testament laws regarding diet and specific holy days had one purpose. One purpose. They pointed to Jesus. Put that in your blank. They pointed to Jesus. Paul says here in our text that these things are a shadow of the things to come. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, These things are only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things. Listen. You and I now have the substance. We've got the reality. We have Jesus. Why would we settle for the shadow when we have the substance? Hold fast to Jesus. I've heard so many arguments about what kinds of foods we should eat or not eat according to the Bible or this Sabbath should be on a Saturday and not a Sunday and all of that talk. And you can do this and you can't do that. Listen, all of that is a shadow the substance is Jesus. 
And praise God it is. You know what? I had bacon this morning. I sat right back there on that table, and I praised the Lord for it, and I ate that bacon. We're not under the law anymore, friend. Now, the Word also says that while all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. So we've got to show wisdom. If I ate bacon every day, I'd probably die of a heart attack not too long from now. But it is very good every now and then. I'm going to tell you, I was sitting back there and Given said, I'm not going to eat pork today. I'm like, what? Try this. He tried that, and I'm going to tell you, the first word out of his mouth when he tried real bacon was, whoa. <laughs> and I said, told you. Because we usually eat turkey bacon in our house, which is, you know, that's kind of a cheap imitation, but that's another subject. So listen, all those things are a shadow, what Paul is saying here. The substance is Jesus. The answer to any sort of legalism is Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Paul continues in, our, in verse 18 of our text, and he says this. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Paul is saying nearly the same thing that he said in verse 16 of our text. He didn't want anyone to, to allow them, you don't, want, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Only now he switches from talking about rules that are associated with diet or certain holy days, and he talks about asceticism, worship of angels, and false pride, false humility. Now, asceticism, that's just a fancy word for a very, very extreme form of self-denial. That's what asceticism is. It's trying to attain a higher sense of spirituality by disciplining your body like to an extreme. You look it up, you're going to see all kinds of pictures of, you know, you might see a picture of like Gandhi or something like that. I mean, really, really to the extreme. We can't ever confuse what the Bible talks about with respect to discipline, self-control, and denying ourselves. Those are totally different. Self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Do you know that? So we're supposed to be disciplined. But asceticism takes these commands and takes them to a whole nother level, takes them to an extreme. And in many cases, practices associated with asceticism, they try to earn God's favor. We can never earn God's favor by what we do. It's only through our faith, by God's grace, and what Jesus has already done. Religion says do, but a relationship with Jesus says done says done the answer to what paul is combating in our text is hold fast to jesus we don't worship angels we don't get caught up in what the ascetics do in severely disciplining our bodies all of that is worthless compared to jesus everything comes down to what paul is going to say next in verse 19 of our text this is what he says first he said in verse 18 about don't let anyone disqualify you don't get caught up in asceticism don't worship angels don't have this false pride. Now he's going to say, these same people, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Paul has been telling us all throughout this, essentially, that rules, rituals, and religion are all an insufficient way to live our lives. These are shadows, and they're not the substance. And now in verse 19, he condemns anyone who tries to live their life in these shadows apart from Jesus, who is the substance. 
In fact, chasing after rituals and rules or religion instead of being squarely focused on Jesus just shows that a person has lost connection with the head. That's in your blank there, connection. They've lost connection with the head when you're trying to do that. Hold fast to Jesus. That is the only way for us to live. And this is very clear by the metaphors that Paul chooses to use here. He uses a metaphor for head and he uses a metaphor for body. Jesus is the head of the church. And you and I, as Christ followers, are part of the body, the body of Christ. The body cannot grow without being connected to the head. This is why it's so important for us to reject anything that tries to add to or take away from Jesus. Hold fast to him. And as we hold fast to him, we've got to remember this is not an individual thing. You and I as part of the body of Christ means we must be functioning members of the body and that this body doesn't grow properly unless each individual member lives in dependence on the head and is interdependent with each other. Satan will constantly try to make you think you don't need anyone but yourself. Nothing can be further from the truth. I saw this happen a few years ago firsthand. I had a good friend of mine. Matter of fact, he was my best friend at the time. He decided to take his own life because he had gotten disconnected from the head. He was disconnected from the body and he believed the lies of the enemy and he took his own life. So don't ever believe that lie. While attending church is good, being the church is actually much better. This is why we try to foster family here at this church. Being involved in each other's lives. If we're going to grow as God intends, then we must all hold fast to the head, Jesus, and be closely joined to each other. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what's on your mind or what you're struggling with. But I want to encourage you that no matter what it is, hold fast to Jesus. Is Jesus your anchor? There are storms in this life that you and I both know that can rock us to and fro. There are temptations that can lead us away. We need to hold fast to Jesus. Let him be the anchor that keeps you fixed in place. Let him be the one that keeps you from drifting. Let him be the one that comforts you in the midst of your storm. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, we read of a woman who had the kind of faith that you and I need to have. She suffered from bleeding that had been going on for 12 years. And in that day, her bleeding made her unclean, which meant that no one could touch her and no one could even go near her. We don't identify with this sort of ritual impurity today in our culture, but we do identify with the shame and isolation that she must have been feeling. And just like she would drive people away because of her uncleanness, you and I can drive people away by being caught up in guilt or fear or some other powerful emotion. And when that happens, there's loneliness that we can experience. And that loneliness, if we're not careful, can lead to a severe depression. And then we'll often hide our pain. And we'll come in this church and we'll pray silently and someone will ask you, how are you doing? And we'll go, we're fine. And meanwhile, inside, we're crumbling. We may even sit and beat ourselves up for our own uncleanness, whether it's from our own sins or it's from some other sins that people have committed against us. But thank God Jesus can heal us. Thank God that Jesus can restore us. 
Like this woman, we need to reach out for the hem of his garment to be healed, to be restored, to be comforted, to be made brand new. So let's read her story in Mark chapter 5. It says here, beginning in verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors over the years, and she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out for him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. It must have been quite a challenge for her to wrestle her way through the crowd to get near enough to Jesus to actually touch him. She must have had quite the determination and focus. You and I need to have that kind of determination and focus so that we can push through any and all obstacles that are standing in in our way of our faith. And we've got to hold fast to Jesus. Her faith was not a curious faith. Her faith was a desperate faith. How desperate is your faith today? Did you notice what happened immediately when she got a hold of his garment? The bleeding stopped. It had been 12 years and it finally stopped. And she was healed. Her suffering was over. She was made clean. Think about the crowd and how many people must have been there and how many other people had probably bumped into Jesus or touched Jesus because of the crowd. But you know what? No one else was healed except her. She was the only one. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith is what made you well. Do you have that kind of faith today? She said, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. You can read several instances of Jesus touching those who were unclean, but you know what? He was never made unclean. Instead, anyone who touched him was made clean. Do you need to be made clean today? Do you need him to touch you today? Do you need to touch him? Then reach out to him. Hold fast to him. He is the only one who can clean up your life. He is the only one who can forgive your sins. He is the only one who can truly provide for what you need. Hold fast to him. I love what Toby Mack said here. He said, when you're hanging on by a thread, make sure it's the hem of his garment. Amen. Hold fast to him. Now, Paul continues in our text in verse 20 by saying this. He says, if with Christ... You die to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings, which are referring to things that have all perished as they are used. You know, one commentator that I read said that Paul here was probably using the false teacher's own words against them to mock them. The quotation marks that we see here in multiple translations around these words 
also seemed to indicate that these were the actual words the false teachers were using. They were going around telling everyone, don't handle, don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. If we've committed our lives to Jesus, then we are free from all of those kinds of worldly rules and rituals that come from religion. It's interesting how things get added that sound spiritual. They even sound logical at times. But anything added to the finished work of Christ must be rejected. Now, I want to take us back to the Garden of Eden for a moment because I want you to see something really important. We look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says here, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so what was the command that God gave Adam, told him not to do? Do not eat, right? Do not eat of that fruit of that tree. Everybody got it? That's the command. Okay, now let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And let's look what happened when when Satan enters the picture. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Do you see how slick that is? Did God indeed said? So he's immediately questioning God. And then he said, Did he really say you can't eat of every tree? Which tree did God say not to eat of? The tree of knowledge and good and evil. He only mentioned one tree. And what's Satan doing here? He's twisting it, isn't he? This is what he does. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what was the command that God gave Adam? Let's go back. You shall not eat. What did Eve say God said? You shall not eat it, nor shall you what? Do you see that even Eve added to God's word? That's what happens. That's what those false teachers were doing in the day that Paul was there. That's what he was combating. And that very same thing happens today. We add things that are not there, that are not commands of God. It's why we've got to know the word of God. And here's what Paul says about this. Here's what he says in the very next part of our verse. He says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, this is referring to all those do's and don'ts that the false teachers had been spreading. They wanted to take the church back under the law and have some sort of hybrid faith plus rules equals salvation. That's the equation that you see a lot today. A hybrid faith plus rules equals salvation. You and I as Christ followers know the only equation that matters is Jesus plus nothing, right? Amen. Rules, rituals, and religion all have the appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Did you catch that? No value. Did what Eve add to the word of God by saying, you shall not touch it, did that help her at all? Didn't help at all, did it? And that's the, Paul, that's the same point that Paul is making here. We don't become mature in our faith by, keep, by keeping rules or rituals through religion. It's only by holding fast to the head 
in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only place following rules, rituals, or religion will lead is to pride. And Satan pushes this kind of stuff because it's the one way that he can keep people from having a relationship with Jesus. Do you know there is so much fluff in religion today? But the only actual substance is Jesus. Don't ever settle for the shadow when you have the substance in Jesus. The world gives us all kinds of do's and don'ts, but there's really only one do. Hold fast to Jesus. Everything else is a don't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this word. We thank you, Lord, that um, you are the answer to each and every false teaching there is out there today. So many things are trying to take us away from you. So many things are trying to substitute or add to Uh, for the gospel. And we thank you for what your son did for us on the cross. We thank you so much for that, Lord. Help us to hold fast to the truth, you. There's anyone here today and you're struggling with what you're holding fast to. You've been holding fast to so many different things in this world. It may be money. It may be your career. It it may be just anything that's taken you away from from God's word and you recognize right now that you want that relationship you've tried to substitute so many things you've tried to cram in your heart and you know there's no way to fill that hole because it's a God-sized hole and only Jesus can fill it and you recognize that today you want to give your life to Jesus if that's you and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging upon you now I ask that you raise your hand and I will pray for you thank you anyone else want to make that relationship they want to make that connection to the head and have that relationship to Christ today okay pray this after me for those of you that raised your hand father I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior I cannot save myself and I now put my trust squarely in you and I commit to follow you from this day forward I ask for your forgiveness for my sins and I'll live for you and I'll live free that's you welcome to the family of God others of you that are here you may be thinking to yourself man I've gotten so distracted by so many things in the world that are crowding out that relationship I may have even fallen into false teaching myself but I recognize I want to come back if that's you and you're struggling right now and you need to make a commitment to the father for him to help you so you'll hold fast to him I ask raise your hand I'll pray for you thank you thank you anyone else Father, I pray that those that you've stirred spirits today in their hearts, that you would just move in a mighty way, that you'd put yourself square in the center of their lives and they build their lives around you, that we would all hold fast to you. We thank you for the truth of this word. We thank you, Lord, for the vessels that we can become in this dark world, that we can shine the light and be the salt that you've asked us to be, the salt and the light. And so we thank you for all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If you're here and you'd like to have prayer and you want to come forward and have somebody pray for you, I'll be up here. Others of our board and, and anyone else that wants to pray with people will be up here as well. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. For the rest of you, God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.